Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futura Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Vontone Quindlevin, CEO of Futura Health. As a medical student at Johns Hopkins University 10 years ago, Shiv Gagalani quickly realized it was time to shake up a century-old lecture-based approach to medical education and make the experience more dynamic, efficient, and enjoyable. That was the spark for creating Osmosis, an online and mobile learning platform that's been used by millions of current and future health professionals, as well as patients and their family members. The company has grown into a global workforce of more than 85 educators, medical illustrators, video editors, and others creating content and systems based on learning science. A little over a year ago, Osmosis was acquired by Elsevier, a leading medical and scientific publisher, which is best known for the Gray's Anatomy's textbook and the Lancet Medical Journal. Shiv somehow managed to earn an MBA from Harvard in 2016 while running Osmosis and is the author of two books, Success with Science and Standing Out on the SAT and ACT. He's also been a contributor to Forbes, which named him to its 30 under 30 list in 2018. I enjoyed being a guest on his Raise the Line podcast previously, and I'm looking forward to getting his insights on the current and future state of health education. Thanks so much for joining us today, Shiv. Vaughn, it's a true pleasure. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Well, we need to start with your background. I understand you came from a health-oriented family. Tell me, what was the reaction when you decided to quit your medical education at John Hopkins? <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. My, my dad's a retired physician, and he ran a hospital in South Africa. My mom's a physical therapist, and my sister and brother-in-law are dentists who have several practices in Chicago. And so the joke is between my family members, we can treat anybody for anything. Uh, I'm a bit of the black sheep in the family because I started my medical degree, but then decided to take time off to launch a startup. And the reaction initially was uh, obviously one of anxiety and fear because I'd worked up until then my entire life to get into medical school um, and then to leave it and risk it was big. But I didn't actually wind up burning the bridges. I just wound up deferring uh, medical school every year for 10 years and got the MBA in between, published a couple of papers and grew osmosis. And fortunately, Johns Hopkins has been uh, relatively supportive because uh, it wasn't like I was doing something totally different. I was still working on medical education over the last several years. Well, they're going to be able to brag that you're alumni soon enough, right? You're heading back? Yeah, that's the big uh, personal news this year is fortunately Elsevier has uh, allowed me to create a structure where I can go back uh, to my clinical years and I have about a year and a half of medical school left. So it's funny, I just joined the Hopkins class of 2025 group me chat, uh, which is now I'm the old guy in there because I was initially part of the Facebook group of Hopkins class of 2015. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to celebrating your graduation. <laughs> Thank you. So Shiv, you know, what were you trying to solve when you created uh, Osmosis? And help us understand what Osmosis does for students and how it approaches health education that is different from the way you encountered education when you were a student. Certainly. Um, a lot has changed over the past decade since we started Osmosis. And terms like flipped classroom were not as popular uh, as they are now. So we've seen a lot of good growth and adoption over the past decade. Um, essentially, we realized when my co-founder Ryan and I, when we were medical students in anatomy class together, we realized that the tools that we were using and our classmates were using to socialize, tools like Facebook or watch TV, like Netflix, were managed by more sophisticated 
recommendation algorithms and better user experiences than the tools we were using to learn medicine. For example, like Netflix knew that if I like a certain true crime show, I'd like another true crime show, whereas our medical education systems did not know this about us. They didn't know that Ryan had a PhD in neuroscience, so maybe we should send him more neuroscience content uh, that he'd be very interested in, or that I am very interested in uh, emergency medicine, for example. So we wanted to build a learning platform that was more personalized, and I could recommend content in the way that we expect from many of the tools we use now. And so we left med school to build upon this concept and make learning medicine more efficient, engaging, and personalized. And along the way, we brought on the team that used to run Khan Academy Health and Medicine, led by our chief medical officer, Dr. Rishi Desai. And that's where we really took off because we started producing these really short, engaging, five to 10 minute animated videos that have taken these 60 minute lectures, turned them into a 10th of the time with really good explanations. Um, and that's kind of what's grown us to be the largest health education channel on YouTube, over 3 million registered learners on osmosis, and growing beyond medical school into nursing, PA, pharmacy, dentistry, and many other health professional fields. And so is it the dosage that is better for the learner? It's both the, the recommendation engine, but it sounds like there's a dosage uh, involved with learning. Definitely. I, I think most of us have heard these terms, uh, and I know you all care about this as well and do it well, is bite-sized learning continuous professional development, micro learning. And so people are busy, they have a lot of distractions. And this is even more so as you become a practicing provider or a resident, where your job is really patient care first and foremost, and secondarily education and lifelong learning. And so between, you know, standing in line and subway at the hospital to, you know, just having time between a patient, being able to get a push notification to your phone with a short three minute video or a couple of questions is really what made Osmosis popular. And now many organizations are doing this in, in really great ways that we're learning from too. Um, so I think that dosage is one and then format. Uh, a lot of content has become visual, right? Obviously the most popular social media content platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, the commonality is short form video. Um, and that may change over the next five, 10, 15 years as we get you know, new formats and innovations come out. But really, I think the short form video format we adopted uh, with high quality is what uh, led to a lot of our growth. So Shiv, since I appeared on your podcast, our futural health base of adult learners, whom we're, we're working to bring them back into education in order to get healthcare credential, has gone up from 80% to now 90% diverse demographics. Wow. Uh, and they're adults, right? They're average age 30, 29, uh, for example. So it sounds like the format and the instructional delivery that you've created is actually much more adult-friendly. Does that mean, for example, the base of learners that are coming through Futuro Health who are pursuing like entry-level uh, careers in healthcare, could the osmosis way of instruction actually enable them to pursue higher-level careers like the physician's assistants or become a doctor, for example? I mean, does it create new pathways for people who normally wouldn't consider these careers? Yeah, it's a really great question. And again, I'm a huge fan of the work you all do to get a more diverse and adult learner base into healthcare uh, careers. We're all collaborators because ultimately uh, the thing we're competing against is the shortage of healthcare workers. We just need more of them. Um, and so making those pathways more efficient is core to what we do at Osmosis. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I gave this TEDx talk called, Could You Get an MD Online? And the whole thesis was that as we switch to bite-sized learning and competency-based learning instead of time-based learning, we should see more um, kind of emerge where someone who trained as a respiratory therapist 
could, instead of having to go back and do all four years of med school and another five years of residency, they could maybe streamline that and take what they learned in practice and maybe do a year and a half or two years of med school, uh, and then maybe two years of residency and get proficient to be able to provide patient care as a pulmonologist. That's where we'd love to see. We see that in other professions. Even at Osmosis, we've had people join us as content illustrators who then transition into product designers and then product managers. Uh, in medicine, we don't see that as much. Once you become a, a PA, you don't necessarily go on to become an NP or something like that. And so I, I would love for us to help develop more of those uh, asynchronous, bite-sized um, learning opportunities and pathways. And we, we certainly need that uh, across the healthcare system, not just domestically, but globally. And are there other best practices that you would share with the younger version of yourself? In terms of uh, producing osmosis or in terms of the like learning science or? Addressing the problem that you originally set out to, to solve. There's this great law called Amara's Law, which I, I recited a lot, which is uh, people tend to overestimate the impact of technology uh, in the short term, say a one or two year basis, and underestimate its impact in the long term, say 10 years. Bill Gates paraphrased that by saying people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a year or two and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. So osmosis, when we left med school, we thought, yeah, within two years, we'll like have this great thing and it'll reach so many people. And and that's not how it happened. It was very much a plateau and we had to fight for every kind of user and, and growth. 10 years later, though, we're, you know, we just have this large uh, institution in nursing in Australia that adopted osmosis. Um, so it's, the impact is beyond what we ever imagined. And so I would say some of the core lessons are people are busy. We have to compete for their attention. So whatever we can do to develop easier, more efficient, and more engaging learning tools uh, and media, the better. So going onto the video platforms first would have probably been better for us, but there's no counterfactual. Had we you know started doing that earlier, we may have had the wrong format. Um, and then also I would say focus, like focus is a big thing where initially we were spread thin, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I did a lot of, um, high school education with research and SAT, ACT prep. And so within a year of starting osmosis, we were getting pulled into doing, you know, K-12 osmosis or other things. We lost a lot of focus and a lot of time in the process. So, um, I think a big learning I took away from that is focus on your power users and solving their problems first, and then you can then have the resources and the time and the brand to grow from there. Uh, so now tell me more about the student experience. Like what, what did you learn about things that enabled students to persist through a set of curriculum, for example? Students have varying levels of motivation. It can vary by the day, by the hour, et cetera, uh, and certainly by the interest level in that particular set of content. We adopted this thing called the Fogg Behavior Model. We actually had um, BJ Fogg, he's a behavioral scientist at Stanford, um, on the podcast last year talking about this model, but we had been influenced by him a decade ago, where he essentially says, if you're trying to change someone's behavior, maybe make them a lifelong learner, et cetera, behavior boils down to three things, motivation, the willpower, ability, how easy is it to do that thing? And then prompts, you know, are we reminding people uh, with the right prompts at the right time? His whole thesis was don't rely on motivation because that's fickle, that can change. You know, I'm a very different person at 10 p.m. than I am at 5 a.m., uh, in terms of how much I'm willing to study or work or whatever. And so osmosis has been designed around trying to make it as easy as possible for someone to access and consume content. So obviously mobile first, short form video, we talked about personalized recommendations. So we're pushing content to people instead of you know, relying on their willpower to come back to the system. And then prompt. Um, so we do that through push notifications. One of our coolest collaborations is with NYU, where we know that a third-year med student on the pediatrics rotation 
uh, met a patient with Kawasaki disease today. So tomorrow they're getting a video and a, a question about Kawasaki disease to reinforce that learning. So that sort of prompt that BJ Fogg talked about all those you know decade ago has been designed into our tools to help students and other learners persist through the curriculum. Oh, that's fantastic. I suppose that over time, you you were able to create enough of an inventory to be able to do very targeted, very personalized prompts. Yeah, and it's still getting better and better. The personalized recommendation systems, uh, in many ways, were just at the beginning. I've been very obsessed with uh, generative AI and ChatGPT, among other things, and what that means for personalized tutoring and learning over the next decade. Let's talk a little bit about addressing the shortage of doctors. So you talked about your TED Talk. Could we create an MD online? But really... um, as we think about expanding the pool, uh, what what should we be on the lookout for? You know, diamonds in the rough, who perhaps can go the distance? What, what would you recommend? Yeah, I would say what we expect our clinicians and providers to do over the next 10, 20 years will be fairly different than what we expect them to do now. Um, fortunately, I think some of the things that cause them to burn out and leave, not just doctors, but nurses and others, will be remedied by technology. So for example, clinical documentation and working with electronic health records is a major sticking point for these providers. Same with the business models, fee-for-service versus value-based. Fee-for-service tends to uh, rely on relative value unit units and burn physicians out because they have to see 50 patients a day versus focusing on just value-based. So the healthcare system is changing, and that's essentially why we launched the RaiseLine podcast is to make sure that students, again, medical students, but also PA, dental, nursing, et cetera, who are learning by osmosis are apprised as to what, what does the health system of tomorrow look like that they're going to enter. And so because the health system's changing, I think we're going to rely more on recruiting clinicians who are more human, who provide more care uh, and not sick care. They're, you know, they have those soft, so-called soft skills where they're able to empathize with patients, communicate very effectively with them, coach them, help them through behavior change and use technology, whether it's telehealth or remote patient monitoring or other technologies to help them change their behaviors. Uh, less about the memorization, that regurgitation, the, the the things that I think increasingly technologies will take and replace from providers. So that has ramifications for everything from the admissions process. Obviously, we're all trying to recruit a more diverse and inclusive workforce in the future to the time it takes to train these clinicians, uh, to how we test them, right? The MCAT has undergone several revisions over the past 20 years. You know, step one went past fail. A lot of other exams, I think, are going that route. Uh, so it's an exciting time, I think, to be in the education of healthcare professional space. So Shiv, let's say there were a base of you know 10,000 Futura Health uh, graduates, and we put them through a signature soft skills program. If the top 10% in terms of, of having those human skills, could we then figure out which ones have the headroom to go do a medical education? I think it's, I think it's possible. I think predictive algorithms are getting way better where those are the input variables and we can figure out with a big enough data set, what are the qualities that led to them being great clinicians? And again, NYU is a leader here. Uh, I was just on a call with our dean and collaborator there, Dr. Mark Triola, who has some really interesting work where we're looking at the patient outcomes of NYU trained providers and trying to correlate that to things that they measured in medical students earlier on. So take that even earlier to like, you know, Futura Health graduates or, or whatnot. I think we will reach a point where we're able to efficiently predict who makes it through the curriculum and then who actually becomes a good provider and then back design how we train them and how we recruit them from that. That's going to be fascinating. And I, I think your your time in medical school 
will be telling. Who knows what kind of company you'll found or what health systems you'll be leading. <laughs> um, w- what are some of the uh, big and small shifts in the field of medical education you see? And how do you recommend your niece or nephew prepare uh, if they're considering going into the medical field? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, one of my favorite questions we ask our guests in the raise line is advice they would give to early stage career professionals. I think some of the timeless advice, advice is so contextual, right? So it really depends on the person and what they're looking for. Uh, So there's no one size fits all. Um, I would say the two things though that are timeless are reading and educating yourself, like staying abreast, uh, not just on what's happening now, but what happened in the past. So the more I've read, the better we've done at Osmosis, the better healthcare professional we've trained, et cetera. And then building relationships because careers are long and you never know how they intersect. And even like our relationship here, where we first were introduced long ago and then had you on the podcast, you know, we work together on the same mission. Maybe we'll work together at the same company eventually, however it uh, appears. So I would say those are two timeless pieces of advice, reading and relationships. You know, as far as what the next decade of medical education looks like, certainly some trends that started over the last few years were accelerated because of COVID will I think, continue to be important. So training providers for clinicians of the future. So what does value-based medicine look like versus fee-for-service? Adopting digital health. I think a big thing is getting patients to be their own providers. I I compare it to like the 95 theses from Martin Luther. The reason he became popular and the Protestant Reformation happened was his old stick was, we don't need a priest to communicate to God. You can do it yourself. Read a Bible yourself and figure that out. I think increasingly because of content online, because of remote diagnoses and telehealth, the more engaged a patient population, more educated a patient population we can create, the less endocrinologists we'll need. Because I don't think we'll ever reach a point where we have enough medical schools, nursing schools, residency programs, and seats to train that many people. So it'll ultimately take a lot of individual responsibility from patients and engagement to, as we say, flatten the curve of these other chronic conditions and infectious conditions, et cetera. And Shiv, you have a a new passion for rare diseases. Is that going to be a part of your uh, medical journey? Yeah, definitely. As I go back through the wards, I'm really excited to meet patients who've gone through the diagnostic odyssey and been diagnosed with these zebras. This year is the 40th anniversary of the Orphan Drug Act, and we just launched a campaign at Elsevier Health and Osmosis called the Year of the Zebra. Uh, And so we're doing a lot to raise awareness around these uh, 7,000 plus rare diseases that collectively affect 300 million people and hundreds of millions of more family members. So on our podcast, we've been fortunate to have several dozen rare disease patients, uh, providers, um, leaders on on the podcast. So it's a, definitely a passion of us at Elsevier Health and Osmosis. Well, I'm looking forward to what you um, will invent as you go into this next journey of your life. Uh, You've contributed so much to the field of medical education, health education. I just wanted to so much thank you, Shiv, for being on this podcast and give you a chance to make any uh, final comments on what you see in the future of health. Well, thank you again, Vaughn. I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on and also respect the journey you've been on and how much of an impact you and Futura have made to uh, reducing the healthcare workforce crisis. 
Yeah, I'm just really excited. I think uh, I'm very much looking forward to continue to collaborate in the space. Already, I mentioned my Hopkins 2025 class. A number of people have reached out to me. They've used Osmosis. Um, and so who knows, maybe in a couple of years, I'll be working with some of them on different things. And again, with you. So uh, I think keeping an open mind, building relationships and anyone who listens to this podcast, I welcome them to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Shivaglani on LinkedIn. I love hearing from uh, from people who listen to the podcast uh, and collaborating and being helpful however I can. Well, thank you again, Shiv, for joining us today. I'm Vontone Quinlevin with Futura Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm-hmm.